If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's completely free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. I am Jacob Brown, joined here with Steve Cashin and my friend Adam Kupferman, Mr. Lightning fan. I'm actually with two Lightning fans right now, which I don't know why I did this. I mean, I'm still wearing my Ranger jersey. Even though they got swept, I still have Ranger pride, especially if we get Lafreniere with that number one pick. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, CJ Yuri will be on the second half of the show. Uh, he's busy working right now, so when he gets home, uh, him and I will record something so he can rant about the Florida Panthers. And uh, we'll talk about the NBA bubble with him, too. Uh, so me, Steve, and Adam will talk about the NHL first. Uh, and then Adam will leave us, and Steve and I will have some uh, baseball talk, uh, you know, after we have our hockey conversation. Let's just start it. Um, so the first team that was eliminated uh, was the New York Rangers. I called a sweep for the New York Rangers, but that definitely did not happen. It was the exact opposite of that. Uh, the Rangers just had no effort. Uh, their star players didn't really perform like stars. Uh, Chris Kreider was essentially invisible other than kind of, you know, influencing the the game uh, on the physical side. Uh, He did score a goal, but that's really after he scored that goal in the last game, you couldn't see him on the ice. Mika Zibanejad wasn't really doing anything. You know, Panarin popped in a goal, but it was because of the really good pass. He wasn't creating opportunities like he normally does. Um, But I was saying to my dad, you know, we just did a Rangers pod the other day. I feel like it's a blessing in disguise for this team. They're a young team that if in a normal season, they probably would not have made the playoffs. I look at this and I say, listen, you get these young players like Fox, like Kako, like Igor, some playoff experience. They know what to think now going into next year because this team's a playoff team going into next year. They're going to make some additions, get back into it next year. They have one of the best young cores in the league, uh, especially if they get Lafreniere. Um, and so I look at that and I say, it's a blessing in disguise. You're only going to be playing three games in a span of eight and a half months because they have the four months off. Now they get another four off before December when the next season starts. I think it gives more time for the uh, for the front office to really think about what they're doing, to watch the playoffs, and to say, okay, this is what we need to do to add to the team. You know, this is what, you know, Team X is doing. They have the physical side. I think that's the biggest thing that the Rangers need. They need to add physically uh, because they were playing physically, but they don't have those six foot four, six foot five forwards that are going to knock you to the floor. It's a bunch of skill guys that were playing physically because they needed it. And even David Quinn said uh, after game one, he was like, you know, you can play physical all you want, but really playing physically is playing physical in the paint, uh, getting dirty down there, which the Rangers weren't really doing because they don't have the size. And uh, Patrick Sharp on the uh, pregame show, he absolutely agreed with that. He's like 100% this team, you, know, you got to be stick checking down below the net, uh, doing stuff like that to really impact physically. And they weren't doing that. So when you guys look at this New York Rangers series, first of all, credit to Carolina. Uh, I wrote them off. They still have a loss. And last year, they went pretty deep in the playoffs. You know, I kind of blocked that out of my head as a Rangers fan, but they're a really solid team. So what are you guys thinking about Carolina, and what are your thoughts on the Rangers? Uh, We'll start with Steve. 
Yeah, I mean, Carolina, I think, is a team. I We did write them off because you think, well, how are they going to score enough goals? How are they going to play as a team after you know losing to Boston last year, getting swept in the in the conference final? But they came out and w- playing with a chip on their shoulder. Hey, we're going to we're going to do it again. Didn't miss a beat. That decor for Carolina really shut down the Rangers offense the whole the whole series and give credit to them. But I look at it. We talked the whole series is the Rangers didn't have that energy that you thought they were going to have coming out of the gate. And like Panarin, Zibanejad, Kreider, they had no room to really skate around. And and I look at that. That was a problem from game one. There was no urgency, no no push ever back to Carolina's you know, D-men. They, when they came to rush on the Rangers, they never really punched them back. And the physicality wasn't there, especially in game one and two. They weren't putting anyone out of, out of the crease in Hank's face and literally getting deflections left and right, and he was getting peppered. So I look at that. That was a huge problem, getting too many rebound chances, and Carolina really capitalized on that, and they were really pushing the play on the Rangers' side of the ice. But I look at it, though, like you said, it reminds me a lot of the Lightning when they got swept by Montreal the year before they went to the Cup Final. They learned how to win the playoffs. This is what it takes. A lot of young guys learn from it, come back next year, group. You have the same core guys coming back, sign a couple physical guys, like guys like Lemieux that will go and fight, will get in the corners, do the dirty stuff to win the playoffs. That's what you need in these types of games. And so you look at that, the Rangers can build off this roster they have, get some, get two more guys that can push them over the edge. They'll be back next year and ready to roll. Yeah, my thing is, you know, going into the series, if you remember, Carolina voted against the system because they knew they had to play against the Rangers. Going into the break, the Rangers looked really good and Carolina was kind of slipping. So I think we all went into the mindset of looking right before the break and saying, oh, Rangers were better than Carolina, so the Rangers have to win this series. And instead of looking that way, we should have looked at the rosters and how they played in the beginning of the year, you know, before the break really happened. So I think we wrote off Carolina too soon and, you know, them getting healthy, them getting rust, it was huge for them. You know, Dougie Hamilton, you know, he was on the verge of coming back. He would have played in this series if Rangers had forced a game four or five, you know, that, that'd be a big boost for Carolina. You know, the Rangers aren't a bad team. I think they just went to a, a playoff style team. The Rangers, they have good goal scorers, but, you know, they lack that physicality you have to have in the playoffs. Carolina is more of a playoff built team. So, you know, on offensive side, yeah, the Rangers are better. But when you look at overall on, on defense, you know, goaltending, it definitely hurt that Shesterkin wasn't was unfit to play, you know, whatever was bothering him. Uh, Carolina's just they're built more for playoff hockey. And I don't think the Rangers were ready for that style. But I agree with what Steven said that you they come back, you know, get a little great, get a little tenacity, get that experience under their belt. That's going to be huge for them. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, move on to these other series now. Uh, you look at Columbus and Toronto, that series uh, currently at 1-1. Uh, Tor- uh, Columbus won the first game. Toronto won game two. Um, this is a really interesting series because both of you called it. You know, I uh, another time I wrote off Columbus at the beginning. I kind of said, hey, yes, they're getting their injured guys back. But at the same time, are they going to be able to have that chemistry going in? And they come right out and they win game one. Yes, they got shut out game two. Uh, but Columbus is certainly a dangerous team. Uh, they've got a lot of young talent. 
really underrated talent too. Obviously, John Tortorella, uh, whenever you play for him, he knows how to coach in the playoffs and how to get his teams ready. Uh, we talked before the show about his press conference after game two. Uh, he was asked, you know, about his team, and he said, hey, uh, you know, we sucked. Toronto was good. Uh, classic torch right there. Kind of, it does motivate your team a little bit when you hear your coach say that you suck. So it'll be interesting to see how they come out in game three. Uh, but when I look at this series, I still think Toronto's going to come ahead and win this series. They just have too much talent in my estimation. Uh, it will hurt, though, that Jake Muzzin is done for the series. He got stretchered off the ice. So an already weak defense for Toronto gets even weaker without Jake Muzzin. Uh, but I just, again, I just think that offensive talent for Toronto is too much. Uh, how do you guys think this series is going to go? Yeah, I mean, uh, watching the first two games, if, if you were to ask Toronto about last game, I watched I watched quite a few of that, uh, periods of that game, and I watched up until Carolina – no, sorry, Toronto scored the second goal. But if you ask them, that's it's been a tough series for them. They, the goals have not come easy. Even that second game, they won 3 nothing. That was really a one one nothing game. They scored a late second goal – and really not much there. Like Columbus really locked it down. They really remind me of Carolina a lot. They, their styles emulate themselves. They they pride themselves on defense, and then the scoring comes second. But that could also be a problem in beating this Toronto team is if you can't score uh, two goals a game and, and try to keep up with Toronto, the floodgates will open for Marner, Tavares, Matthews at some point. If they can find a way to get behind Cam Atkinson, all these guys, and chip the puck in deep, work the corners, get it back to your point, guys at the point, and create shots. And I've noticed for Toronto, too, is they're trying to make the perfect pass, make the perfect play. You just got to get pucks to the net. You know, Mer- uh, the goaltending for Columbus has been really, you know, Corpus Allo was standing on his head uh, in game two and unfortunately ends up getting the loss. Game one, he was lights out. So there's some obstacles for this Toronto team to get past if they want to end up moving on to the first round of the playoffs but you know I, I Columbus is not out of this by any stretch if they can get some scoring on the offensive side for themselves their defense hasn't really hasn't missed a beat since uh, last postseason against the Tampa Bay Lightning yeah first off you know glad to hear Jake Muzzin's okay that's a big blow for Toronto to be missing him for the rest of the series but you always want to make sure your guy is 100% and he's he's all right so it's glad to hear he's he's doing okay um series is tied right now the big thing is columbus probably benefited the most from the break getting guys back you know seth jones he's been huge for them in these first two games locking up austin matthews you know before he broke through the first goal in game two he was visibly frustrated and you can tell that seth jones was not letting giving him an inch um being a tied series and now columbus getting last change you know Tortorella is definitely going to match up Seth Jones against Austin Matthews. Anytime he hops over the bench, he's going to throw out Seth Jones. So this is going to be big for for Columbus. I expect them to win one of the games. You know, I think this series is going five. The big thing for Toronto is how long until the floodgates open. Can Columbus, can their defense, can the goaltending, can they withhold inevitably Toronto coming through? You know, guys like... Tavares, Marner, uh, Nylander, Matthews, they're inevitably going to break through in a series, but it's how long Columbus can hold them off. And if they can hold them off in game three, going into that game four, I really like Columbus's chances. I, Before the series was going in, I was picking Columbus in five. I'm still sticking to that. If Columbus can stick in with their game, you know, 
win the corner battle battles, keep playing fiscal, frustrate the Marner's top or the uh, least top talent. You know, I really like their chances in this. Yeah, it's like I said it too before Toronto ended up cracking the first goal in game two was Toronto looked like they were they're tight. The sticks start to tighten a little bit. You know, when you can't score in two games, you haven't scored in a game and a half and it starts to get frustrating. You really want to start picking corners. You're trying to make the perfect play, get a sports center highlight reel goal because you think, wow, how are we ever going to beat this goalie back there? And they finally got one in. The confidence might be there going into game three. They're thinking, hey, man, we can score now. We can do this. All right, we can beat these guys. And they, they haven't been beaten very much in the postseason the last couple of years. So the confidence would go a long way. But if you're Columbus, go back to the model you had in game one. Just shut them down, and you can frustrate them really easily again. And if you can do that and get them off their game again, you're going to have Toronto in a mental pretzel. Those top guys are going to really be pressing hard, and Columbus could take these next two games. They just got to come out tonight and just play that same style they did in game one if they want to have success against Toronto again. Yeah, and it's – in a five-game series, it's a lot easier to get in someone's head. You know, yeah. after one game, you know, you're down in a series. In a five-game series, you start down one nothing. It's a lot easier for stuff to get in your head. So, you know, as you start gripping your stick too tight, get a little nervous, try start trying to make the perfect play like Steve keeps saying. So, it's interesting – it was interesting to see that – Toronto responded. I, I'm very interested to see how game three plays out tonight. Yeah, I mean, you know, another question, too, is, you know, like if Columbus does advance here and they get to the next round and has to play one of these round robin teams, are they more dangerous to you guys than maybe Toronto advancing if they have to play a Boston, Tampa, Philadelphia type team? Uh, yeah, I would. I don't know. It, it's tough. To, it's tough to say because all these teams, are, I think, are getting into a groove right now. And I think some teams are getting caught off, caught by surprise by like Columbus, like because we said we all said it before, in midseason before we did our projections as of if they had no Seth Jones and Cam Atkinson, all those guys. But now they have them back; they're a full, complete team now. And I think teams aren't ready to face that kind of Columbus team that they had last postseason. Carolina was the same way; no one expected them to come out and, and score all these goals against the Rangers. And now, so it's really kind of adjusting to it. So if they move on um, to the next round, I think teams will have a book on them. They'll have some high, they'll have some video um, to break down. And I don't think we'll see as much of a of a surprise to other teams like the Lightning. I think they'll be ready to play if if they do move on, because they'll have seen this, these teams play a full five game set. But you know, we'll see. I'd rather see Toronto advance because they play to Tampa, to Boston. I think those teams would rather play an up-and-down game than try to grind out a one nothing game and really the first goal is going to win that hockey game. So I'd rather see a Toronto move on for those higher-up teams than a Columbus that grinds you down. Yeah, I agree with that. I think teams definitely want to see a Toronto Maple Leaf team that isn't going to you know, put you into the parking lot every time you touch the puck. Yeah. Um, do I, th- I think Tampa, you know, doesn't definitely doesn't want to see Columbus again, but I think if they do see them, whoever gets Columbus, if they do move on, they're not going to be taken lightly. It's not going to be a lightning, you know, David versus Goliath thing. It's not going to be another situation like that. You know, I think teams know what Columbus is doing. They know how to play them. I don't, I think, I don't think a team's going to be happy if they end up seeing them, but I do think. I don't see them advancing to the second round. I, it's not the same team they were last year against Tampa. 
it's you know they're still a relatively young group playoff experience wise i don't see them you know making ups and again but i do think they can make noise could they push a team to the brink could they push to a game seven in the next round against any team whether it's philly boston tampa washington i can see them pushing them to the brink but i i can't i still can't see them taking you know getting over that hump into into winning more series and winning more games yeah, I completely agree with you guys. And now we'll move on to the Florida Panthers-New York Islanders series. So yesterday, the Panthers won, fended off the sweep from the New York Islanders. Uh, obviously, like I said, we'll have CJ later in the show uh, to rant about the Panthers. But uh, this is a series that I think did, – did we all pick Florida in this series? Uh, I think I took the Islanders in four or five, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I think I took them after I saw the Panthers get dismantled by the Lightning in the exhibition game. I think I switched to Islanders real quick. No, yeah, I mean the, the thing with the Panthers is that their defense is just horrific. Brutal. I mean they just they they I mean Mike Matheson, uh, he's a guy that they just keep putting out there because they want to show him off to potentially trade him, but there's really nothing to show off. Uh, you know, he's a bench player, AHL level player. Not not total, but the way he's playing right now, that's that that's the type of guy that he is. And the top scoring of the Panthers, you know, Barkov, Dadenoff, those guys, Hoffman, they're not really performing that well right now. And the thing about the Islanders is they're a lot like Columbus in this way. They play as a team, um, but they're also probably one of the more physical teams in the playoffs. Uh, they don't have those top skill guys, but they just know how to play four lines deep three deep pairs deep. They know how to play a full game of hockey. And I think that's something that the Panthers just simply cannot do. Um, and, and the thing for the Panthers is uh, if they do lose this playoff series, and even if they won the playoff series, they're going to dismantle this team. So unlike some other teams that are going to lose and say, okay, we learned something from this, this Panthers team is going to lose a lot of players. Um, so they might be one of the teams that really wants to get that number one pick, get Lafreniere. Cause they're like, okay, well, Barkoff might leave. Dadenoff might leave. This is really our last shot. And now you're getting beat by a team like the Islanders, who you know you're more offensively talented than. It kind of hurts. Um, but, you know, moving forward in the playoffs, I don't think the Islanders are a threat at all. Uh, they don't have the offensive uh, p uh, personnel to really compete with any of those round-robin teams. Uh, they've seen Philadelphia too much. Plus, they have Carter Hart in Philadelphia. They face Philadelphia. They're not scoring on Carter Hart. You face the Lightning. You've got Stamkos, Kucherov, all those guys. You're not going to outscore the Tampa Bay Lightning. So this Islanders team, if they win this series, to me, they're not going much farther than that. Uh, so this is a series either way. Whoever wins, they're really not going to advance that far. Uh, what are your guys' uh, opinions on this series? You know, I really yeah. wish, I wish CJ was on here right now. I would love to hear him just rant about Bobrovsky's contract. Uh, do you necessarily blame it on him? No, but when a guy's making $10 million a year, you're going to look at him and say, make a save for me. And there's definitely a few goals he let in the series that he definitely wants back, that he should have, could have made, made the save on it. Um, you know, Panthers just are not looking good. They're playing a lot of time in their offensive zone, or in their defensive zone. Uh, they're not, they're only breaking through on special teams, they're just not – nothing's clicking. I think that's a huge compliment to Barry Trotz and the way he coaches his teams and the system he implements. He knows that if guys buy into his system, they're going to they're gonna win games 2-1. to one. That's completely fine. You know, a win's a win. They can get outshot, you know, 
50 to 20, but if they're winning 2-1, who really cares, right? And, you know, the Islanders, I think, I think they could be a surprise team. Uh, Jacob, nothing, nothing against it, but I do think, oh. you know, force when teams, when high scoring teams like Boston and Tampa Bay, when they're forced to play that two, one hard nose battles in the corner game, that's going to frustrate them over a seven game series. And I think the Islanders just the system they're playing, just the pucks deep, put a guy in the parking lot, you know, that's, that's tough to play out. And, you know, a five and a seven game series, you're seeing it against Panthers right now. They don't really have an answer for it. And, I think the Islanders are, could be a surprise team. Yeah, I mean, I agree with what you said there with the with the Panthers. They 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 can't seem to five on five play to me is is key when you watch playoff hockey. It's it, more than like more times than not you're not on the power play. And this series has been very, it's been underwhelming. Both teams have been very undisciplined. I, I think every time I've turned the game on, there's been a power play for either team, and each team's taken about 15 minutes of penalties every game. That's not winning hockey moving on from this series. Yeah, there are two teams that really play the same kind of style of hockey where they they can play a low-scoring game and they can go up and down the ice and it, all of a sudden 6-5 game. But this Islanders team stays patient, and we've seen this in the series where, all right, the Panthers do score one nothing, and it's one nothing for a period and a half. They'll stay patient. They'll strike, get a couple goals, and all of a sudden you look up, it's 2-1, 3-1, game's over, Islanders win. They play patient. There, it's more teams than these we've been seeing, like the Islanders, Carolina, Columbus. They all play that similar style, which is scary for other teams that play fast paced. And it concerns me because the Panthers love to go up and down the ice too, and they really want to just break out passes. Barkov, Huberdeau, they want to, they want ice to skate around and just nip the corners, and they haven't been able to do that this whole this whole series so far. And all all but for the last ten minutes of that third period on you know, what was yesterday, they scored two five on five goals back to back. In the span, I think two minutes it was. Other than that, the Panthers have been just dead throughout five on five play. The only way they can break through is on the power play. Bobrovsky has really kept him in it. I, I'll give him credit where credit's due. If it wasn't for him, I think that team would be getting there. They would have gotten swept. I mean, they're, these three games he's made incredible saves. Yes, he's letting up some softies where they could have won game two, really. Uh, in the second period, they're up two to one, and he gives up a softie through the, the five hole. and the Islanders end up breaking through there and, and kick the doors down. But if the Panthers want to move on in the series, they really have to be better five on five. That's just the that's flat out simple. And the defense the defensive core needs to step up. Mike Matheson needs to be locked into a closet where there's no hockey sticks or hockey and they need to keep him on the sideline. Bring Halla in. Bring Eric Halla in. He was he was really good yesterday. He was blocking shots. It was all over the ice. So that's winning formula for the Panthers. They gotta somehow find a way to win tomorrow afternoon. If they win tomorrow, it's it's winner take all. And I think that really favors the Panthers and Sergey Bobrovsky, who's been in the playoffs, been in that pressure situation, and that team can really can really fly up and down the ice if they get the opportunity. All right, so let's move on to the two series that are really shocking all of us right now: uh, Pittsburgh and Montreal, and Edmonton and Chicago. The two favorites in that series, Pittsburgh and Edmonton, they're both down two to one in their series right now. Uh, nobody saw this coming, but that's NHL playoff hockey for you. Um, you know, I have not watched much of the Pittsburgh Montreal series. I'm just going to be honest. Uh, so I'll, I'll give that one to you guys. Uh, but, you know, Edmonton, as for them, uh, like you guys have been, we've talked before the show, 
you know, Drysdale and McDavid have been really carrying the team. Uh, I'm not going to say what I said about McDavid on air because, uh, you know, it's a little bit of a two bowl of a take to say right now. Uh, but Edmonton's goaltending, like you guys said, uh, it, it's just letting them down right now. They're not deep on defense. Uh, they're not deep on offense either. So you can't really go into a series with two guys and say, okay, that's enough for us. We're just going to beat a team like Chicago. You know, you, you still look at Chicago, even though they weren't going to make the playoffs in a normal season, they still do have a lot of young guys. Patrick Kane and Jonathan Taves still exist. They still won three Stanley Cups. They know how to win in this time of year. And I think they kind of shell-shocked the Oilers a little bit, saying, hey, we're still the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh, and then when you look at the Penguins, you know, I was saying this when we were going to have that 1v8, uh, sorry, not 1v8, but the 1 through 8 seeding normal playoff format, and the Penguins were going to play the Flyers. Before that series, what I said was, the Penguins are one of those teams that have been in the playoffs year in and year out. They go deep every single year. Eventually, you start to get tired. And even though they've had four months off, that is a lot of hockey to play in a, in a you know, I think it's been, you know, four or five straight years now where they've gotten at least to the conference finals. Uh, so this is a team that, you know, they played a lot of hockey. Crosby and Malkin are getting up there. They're in their mid-30s. Um, again, they've had four months off, so maybe that's been fine. But I don't think they've come out ready. Again, I haven't watched much of that series. So w what are you guys thinking about both of those series right now? Uh, well, for the Pittsburgh series to start off with, uh, I've, I've, that one's been the most, I think, exciting to me personally because I just wanted to see how Montreal was going to come out and play. I mean, a 500 team, really, people were thinking, oh, do they really deserve to be in? Why are they here? And – They've shown that they they're they've answered the call. They've got a lot of young guys and uh, on that on that on that team. You got Jonathan Drew who's who's really carried uh, carried them so far um, this season and struggling so far this playoffs and finally cracked a goal um, last night. Carey Price. One word to describe that team right now. It's Carey Price and he's really been th that wall in front of that team and you know with Petrie uh, on defense there and. You got young guys. I can't pronounce that one guy's name. You know, you know the forward for for uh, Montreal, Adam. Yeah. Uh, yes, he's been lights out this series too. He's been up and down the ice in people's faces. He's been matching up with Crosby, Hornquist, Malkin, and just been all over. He's been all over the place. And this young core for this Montreal team, if they do end up, if they let's say they get eliminated this year, they they're going to be packed for years to come. But Montreal's been defensively locked it down. They've haven't give Crosby any space. Malkin's had no space. They're getting frustrated every time. You know, there's a close play in the corner. Pittsburgh's getting frustrated. They're taking penalties that they're not. They don't usually take. And I just think the goaltending for Montreal has been lights out. Carey Price is back to his Vesna form. It looks like, and that's why this team is in the position they are to maybe knock off the Pittsburgh Penguins coming here uh, tomorrow. But like you said, Jacob, uh, after a while, you do get tired. And enough playoff hockey, it's you don't win every year. It's it's really hard to win the playoffs. And I think this team has, has been around together for a really long time. And eventually you do see dynasties fall and you see a decline a little bit. Not saying that they, they're they done for, but I just don't think that the Pittsburgh Penguins we saw when they went back-to-back -back and were just lights out. Matt Murray doesn't look like himself either. So there's some things for the Pittsburgh Penguins they really have to refine, look themselves in the mirror a little bit. Let's get back to work if they want to come back and, and win this series against Montreal. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing between the uh, Edmonton-Chicago series and the Pittsburgh-Montreal series, no one, people respected the Blackhawks. They said, you know, they still have a bunch of their core from their Stanley Cup runs. They could make a make a surprise run here. And, you know, the off time probably helps them. No one I talked to picked Montreal to come out of this series. I don't even think anyone I knew thought after three games Montreal would be up 2-1. I, I think everyone expected it to be 2-1 Pittsburgh. You know, they would finish it off in four. Um, I But I think in the same sense that we picked the Rangers to win because we were looking at, you know, how they were doing before the break, we did it in this series too. We're looking at how they were performing before this break instead of how they would prefer perform if the playoffs started in in October, you know, the season, instead of playing regular season games, what if the playoffs just started? If we look at it like that, I still wouldn't put, pick Montreal. This is, this is crazy to me. Um, Kyle, prices looked unreal. I think I agree with, with Steve that he looks like he's back in his Vesna form. Kyle Kenyemi, what an opportunity for him. I mean, sent down to the minors, wasn't expected to get the call back up anytime this year. This pause happens. He gets another training camp, goes in, goes into that, looks really good in that, comes in here. He's throwing his weight around. He's scoring big goals. You know, he looks like a seasoned vet in these playoffs. I don't think Mont- or Pittsburgh was ready for their style of hockey. This is, this is unreal to me. I can't believe we're talking about Montreal possibly moving in moving on in four games tomorrow. This is, you know, good for them. The one concern I have is, well, yes, it's a huge confidence boost to be a Pittsburgh Penguins team. Is this the best scenario for them? Like, yeah, moving on in the first round, you know, that's all good and fun. But is is the playoff experience and having a shot at Lafreniere better for them? Because I'll, I'll tell you, whoever they play in the first round, I'm not picking Montreal. And so... I think getting beating Pittsburgh anytime, any team who beats Pittsburgh, that's a huge confidence boost. But I don't know if Montreal, if this is the best case scenario. I mean, I I think you gotta. I I I see what you're saying. Like going both sides of that argument. You know, you do you want a shot at at getting Lafreniere and yeah, but that's one out of I think what twelve teams that are going to be in that in that race. I think if you if you had you, you got to win now. Uh, who knows? They could be they could be a, a horse that no one saw coming. And Carey Price, if he just keeps playing the way he's been playing, you just gotta ride off in the sunset as far as you can until someone tells you you gotta go home. And if Montreal moves on the first round, they and they and people keep sleeping on them, they move on again. And who knows? They can catch fire. That you know, offense catches some Drew and catches his his midseason form again and and starts carrying the team again. And I just think you got to win. I think if you're, they have their, they got their chance to get in the playoffs, and you got to really take advantage of it, because not many times you get into it, and they've been struggling the last couple of years, and you just gotta, you gotta win now. That's that's my biggest thing. Yeah, I mean, it really is a double-edged sword. I mean, you know, because the thing is, is if you do lose the series, it's still a 12 and a half percent chance to get Lafreniere, so you're not guaranteed that pick. You are guaranteed a pretty high pick, though. Um, but still, you're, you're, it's not a 100% guarantee. You lose the series. You're getting Lafreniere. They have just as equal odds as uh, every other team that's eliminated in this qualifying round series. Uh, so we're going to move on now to the Winnipeg Jets and Calgary Flames series. I picked Winnipeg mainly because I thought they had a lot of offensive talent, not just offensive talent, 
but all of their forwards are six foot and above. They have size. Calgary's a more small team. I mean, you look at uh, the size uh, on these forwards. You have Patrick Liney, six foot five. Blake Wheeler, six foot five. Shifley, six foot three. Uh, Ehlers is six foot. You know, Kyle Connor even is six foot one. So everyone on this roster that scores has size and they play physically. And I thought in a short series, just like how the Islanders are playing the Florida Panthers, they're using their size to win this series. I thought Winnipeg could do it. Right now they're down two to one. They've been playing pretty evenly, even though Calgary definitely played better in game three. Um, I'm starting to think Calgary might run away just because they're up two to one. Um, they've played more of a complete game so far. Um, but I, I can see Winnipeg definitely battling back here because, to me, I mean, you just look at that offensive talent. Liney, Connor, Shifley, Wheeler. These are guys that are going to get going. It's a, it's a lot like Toronto. When are the floodgates going to open? This team scores goals, and their goaltending. Connor Hellebuck is a great goaltender. So I really like this Winnipeg team. It'll be interesting to see if they can battle back, win two straight games. Uh, but it is looking like Calgary will probably take this series. Yeah, I don't see – I don't think – I don't know. I, to me, I think Winnipeg's done for. Uh, they really didn't – last game they looked – they tried they, – they ran it for two periods, and all of a sudden Calgary just they, – they found a way to bury them. They got a couple goals, got ahead. It was two-two. It was a 2-2 hockey game, and all of a sudden I looked up, and it's 5-2, and, and you're like, what just happened? I think the loss of Shifley in game one, you know, banging his knee up, no one knows when he's going to be back. Line A still has yet to hit the ice. He, they said he's he's hopeful for for game for game uh, four here, but we don't know it, when he's coming back. So the depth there for Winnipeg, which we saw before the series, how they're going to be able to run away with this thing. But now they're really reeling, trying to get guys in, into Line A spot to replace that goal production. That that point, you know, he's a point generating machine. And Hellebuck hasn't looked like him, the Vesna finalist he, he was all year. So I think if for, for the Winnipeg Jets to really come back in this series, they're going to need a strong performance uh, today by, by Hellebuck, really shut the door on, on Calgary. But I think Calgary's living rent-free in, in Winnipeg's head right now. They're, they're flying around. They're hitting guys. Kachuk's just been... He's been flying around. He's, he, he's been in a couple fights. He's, he's in corners. He's in people's faces. And, and Winnipeg hasn't really answered the bell. And that's really the difference in this series is Calgary's able to run around and hit guys while Winnipeg's on their heels, backing up, kind of reeling for themselves all series to try to figure out how they're going to beat uh, Calgary here and beat, Cam, and beat Cam Talbot. But I think today is going to be a really telling tale of how this series is going to end up. If Winnipeg gets out early, they got to stay, just keep moving. And I, but if Calgary gets ahead early in this game today, I think it's all pretty much all set in stone for the Jets. Yeah, and one thing before you go, Adam, you know, uh, the the defensive side for Winnipeg is not as deep it has as it has been in years past. They lost Jacob Truba, they lost Dustin Bufflin, so those are two guys that they've had as staples of their defenses over the last few years. That's a big impact too. Yeah, uh, I, I had the Jets going in. I had the Jets winning this series. I liked their size. I liked the fact that they could score gritty goals. Uh, nothing against Calgary. You know, they can play a physical game. They can get gritty goals, too. But I thought over a five-game series, Connor Hellebuck was going to w- will them to win this series. Um, at this point in time, I don't believe Shifley or Line has been ruled out yet. 
uh, that would be huge. If they can get them back in the lineup, the whole complexity of the series changes, I think, in Winnipeg's favor. I think that's a huge boost to their lineup to get those either one, if they get both great, if they get just one of those guys back, I think that changes the series. I think that gives a boost to to their bench. Uh, that being said, if they don't get them back tonight, I'm still not ruling Winnipeg out. I think Connor Hellebuck is going to will them to win at least game four, and we'll see about game five. But definitely Connor Hellebuck is the backbone of this team. He is going to will them to to however far they want to go. He didn't look good in game three. I thought he was shaky with his rebounds. I thought he didn't look like himself in game three. I expect a big bounce back from him tonight. And, you know, we'll see what happens. I I expect this one to go five games. And who knows that in a fifth game, anything can happen. You know, I'm excited. And and I'll end it with this. There is no way Matthew Kachuk can't pronounce that name. There's no way he intentionally tried to hurt Shifley. I, there only, I could. There's no way you can moving that fast, angle your your skate blade like that, and try to hit someone like that. He was trying to put him through the boards, yes, but he wasn't trying to, you know, put his skate or try to break his leg or anything like that. Yeah, I I, I missed the hit at first in game one. I was outside. I come back in and I see Shifley on the ice. And I hear people going, oh, he did it on purpose. Twitter's blowing up. The Jets head coach after the game said he did it on purpose. And you look at it in, real, in slow motion. Yeah, it looks like he kind of went – his right foot went right and went behind his foot. But if anyone's played the game, if you've watched hockey enough, if especially if you played, that bottom line is you're going that fast on the ice and you got, you're going to line a guy up and he turns. It's just a, it's a, it's a sick, unfortunate play that happened and by no means – was it his fault? It, people are making it out to seem like Kachuk went to that he went and really reared back and kicked his Achilles in and like, come on, we're, you're playing hockey out there. It's a game of it, it's a split second reaction times and it's no fault. It's not his fault. It's just a, it's it's how hockey is. It's a brutal sport and unfortunately he was in the wrong place at the wrong time. And let's just hope he gets back uh, to the ice soon. Uh, I don't know the extent of the injury. They can't disclose how where he's at in his progress, but yeah, you're completely right. It was not his fault, and they just got him. That's the other thing for the Jets. They got to move on past that that incident, and that's been living in the back of their mind for the last couple of games. They just got to get over that bridge and and, and move forward. Yes, yeah, so some series I'll just quickly brush over here. Uh, Predators and Coyotes. The Coyotes are up two to one. Uh, I picked Arizona. I thought they were a team coming in, especially in this particular matchup against Nashville. Uh, a team in Nashville, their leading scorer was a defenseman, Roman Yossi. Um, so their offense really is almost non-existent. Uh, they scored one goal in the last game. Uh, I thought it was a really big blown opportunity if the season had you know, kept going without the break that the Coyotes traded for Taylor Hall and weren't going to make the playoffs um, You know, because they gave up some pieces for Taylor Hall. And if they didn't make the playoffs, that's a pretty bad trade to make, um, especially considering they didn't trade him at the deadline. Um, so I think now that they got the chance to go in the playoffs, they have scoring depth. They have young guys uh, on the ice. Um, I like their team. And moving forward, I don't know about that, but I did like them in this in this particular matchup. And then the Vancouver-Minnesota series, uh, we've gone over this. I think Vancouver will eventually prevail. Uh, Minnesota's a team, they always think they're better than they are. Um, they're really, they're not that deep of a team. Vancouver, they, I kind of call them Rangers West. 
Um, they, they have a lot of young talent, uh, especially with JT Miller le- leading the way. He's a guy, man. Bo- he's been on both of our favorite teams, and now he goes to Vancouver, and he's an absolute superstar over there. Um, but they have a ton of other players, too. And, and um, so I look at Vancouver. I think they're going to win that series. But now let's get into these round robins, uh, because I know, Adam, that's what you came here to talk about uh, as a Lightning fan. So we'll start with the East. Uh, the Lightning are 2-0, and and let me tell you, they look like the best team so far. I've been telling you guys, you know, biases aside, uh, this Tampa Bay Lightning team is a team that got humiliated last year. They have spent all year looking at Boston, looking at Washington, all of the media saying, oh, man, look at Boston, look at Washington. These teams are great. But you look at Tampa, and they've had virtually the same roster, and this roster might be better than ones they've had in the past, and they're kind of just lying in the weeds They have that monkey on their back. They've been waiting all season to get to this point, and they've been playing really damn well. I know you guys are the Lightning fans. How how do you think they've played so far, and do you think they're a legitimate Stanley Cup contender? I mean, like you said, laying in the weeds, I have no problem with no one talking about Tampa because for years now it's been, oh, they're they're number one. They can do it. they're, They're primed to go to the Cup final. And now everyone's kind of just like weighing it around after getting just absolutely embarrassed last year. And like I said, they've been waiting and waiting and waiting to come back and to get to this point and prove to people, hey, that last year wasn't who we are. We're going to come back. We're going to show you we can win hockey games again. And the last two games against Washington and Boston, the four checking has been unreal. Like I haven't seen that all year or it's been good, but not, you know, lights out. And the decor had been uh Shattenkirk, Sergachev, I mean, the guys are in. I mean, they look smooth Sh- out there right now. And what was that? I said, by the way, fuck Shattenkirk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another former Ranger. Yeah, didn't do anything for you guys for a few years, and then comes out to Tampa and it's like reborn. Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, but yeah, this this decor looks looks really good in, in front of Vasilevsky, who's played really well himself and. Doing this all without Steven Stamkos for the last few, uh, last couple of games, and he's been out for a few months with an ab injury. But this team looks looks complete. I I don't want to jump the gun. It's been two games. We're not in the real thing yet. But to play two high end teams out of the East and to look as sharp as they've been in the last couple of days, I I couldn't be happier. Uh, long way to go, but really good glimpses of of great play. It's the way you have to play in the playoffs to win to win games. And they've been up two nothing in both these games, and. They've had a. They've received pushback from Boston and and uh, and the Capitals. Is it's going to happen in the playoffs? And they've responded. They've gotten the next goal. So great responses. They haven't. They haven't folded under the pressure so far. Big game Saturday against uh, Philadelphia. That'll be really uh, telling to see where this team has, is at for sure. But I really like where they're at. I'm not going to say anything about the Cup final. It's just. Too, it's just too early to tell. But they definitely can do it if they've been. If they played the four checking game, they have been. They got the physicality with Maroon and all of them, and all the pieces are there. Um, I just we just gotta wait and see, and hopefully it translates on the ice. Yeah, I think that's the fact that the that they're playing this well without Stamkos. I think is a good sign. You know, when you when a guy like Stamkos is out of the lineup, you know you can't replace him. But the fact that they still look good without him is a telling sign to me that they're ready for a deep run. And when he gets back in the lineup, I know Stamkos will be ready to go. Uh, the round robins are definitely not the same as a five-game series. I I like the intensity that the teams in the round robin are showing, but they're definitely not 
playoff style hockey. You know, nothing against it. I think they'll be ready for their round one series, but I think maybe, you know, the hatred and the tenacity still, I think there's still another level. Um, you know, I've, I've loved the way they play, though. They're getting shots on net. They're getting bodies. You're not afraid to take a hit and give one right back. Th- this team looks good. Um, I, For me, I get reminded of the 2018 Capitals, you know. Everyone had high expectations the year before that. You know, they lose to Pittsburgh in the second round again. Pittsburgh goes, wins the Cup. Everyone writes off Washington. You know, they're kind of lying in the weeds a little bit, and then they go on a run and, you know, beat Vegas and win it all. I, I kind of get an eerie feeling that this Lightning team is the same. You know, everyone, oh, you know, they lost to Columbus. You know, they're done. You know, they're they're not going to get over that hump, and, you know, no one's really picking them. I think that benefits them, that the spotlight isn't on them. Um, their young guys are stepping up. They've gone out at the deadline and in free agency. They picked up some guys who aren't afraid, aren't afraid to throw their weight around. I, I like what I've seen so far. Yeah, and I, I was thinking before when we were talking about Columbus, I know you guys said maybe the Lightning don't want to face them. I, I think the Lightning should want to face the Blue Jackets. I feel like if you can win a series like that, get over that hump and say, hey, fuck you, we beat you this time. I feel like that's a big emotional boost if they can just go out there and dominate a team like Columbus. That's that's a big emotional thing to get over. And I feel like if they can get past that, they're like, hey, we can beat anyone. Now you can't make fun of us anymore that you swept us. We got over you. We're better than you. And you can just keep moving on. But, you know, when I look at the rest of these teams, you know, you look at Boston. I know they're a little injured right now. So, they, you know, you might you might be catching some of these teams at the right time, you know. Washington, you look at them, uh, you know, Nicholas Backstrom, not really the goal scorer that he used to be. He had 42 assists, not really a goal scorer anymore. You look at the rest of the roster, TJ Oshie, 49 points. You know, you look at the rest of that roster, there's not anyone else that you're really scared of uh, on the Washington Capitals roster. You know, Tom Wilson, he's not really a goal scorer. He's just a banger on the ice, you know, 21 goals, 23 assists. I mean, the leading goal scorer on the Capitals was John Carlson. He had more points than Alex Ovechkin, which might shock you. So I look at Washington. They're not scary like they were last year. Um, You look at Philadelphia. Yeah, Carter Hart's great. He's been carrying them. Another team, though, they don't really have a lot of big goal scorers. They kind of depend on Carter Hart. I feel like Tampa is the most complete team out of all of these round-robin teams out of these top four. They have defense. They have offense. They have the goalie. They have size, physicality. They have the Hopefully the coach, I feel like John Cooper, this is the, the the postseason where he has to say, I know how to coach in the playoffs because once you fail too many times, like if the Lightning don't go there this year, is this it for John Cooper, do you guys think? I don't think so. I think it's too hard to tell <clears throat> just because it's, it's the year wasn't it was a wash for a, a time there where the Lightning were playing good hockey before. Uh, the COVID, uh, the COVID pause happened, and they were primed and ready to make a run. And they were going to have home ice for that first round against. The, it looked like it was going to be Toronto and Tampa first round, but we don't know what was going to happen. And it's just a completely different ball game now. You have no fans. Uh, you're in a bubble. It's just a different. It's a different element of the playoffs this year, where there you can point the finger a lot of ways. Oh, if you get eliminated, it's like, well, we had two, three months off. Uh, so-and-so was injured. We weren't ready to play. No fans. You've been playing in Toronto. You're not playing in your home building. So a lot of excuses can get thrown around. But I think if they don't get it done this year, well, next year uh, is is uh, 
it's make or break. It's either win it now or or uh, we got to make some changes because you can only be a, a you can only be doing what the Lightning have been doing for so long, and if, to not bring one a cup home throughout this tenure. And not, nothing against John Cooper. He's been done a great job, phenomenal job. I'll never knock him, but it'd be time to part, part ways. Yeah, I think before the pause, I think this was his last run at it. Uh, I remember in the offseason, you know, brain point, three-year deal. You can't waste two – you can't spend his last year on a contract with a new coach. He needs more time than that. I feel, I thought this was Cooper's last year, and then point gets two years, get in with the system, get in with the new head coach, and – make a last push for it and you know the pause happened i think that if the lightning didn't go on a run this pause saved john cooper's job you know i agree with steve that you know i won't knock him you know the things he's done in his tenure here are great you know playoffs almost every year deep runs almost every year you know i appreciate what he's done but i do think he's he was getting on thin ice before this yeah, so we'll look at these uh, West Round Robin teams now. Uh, you know, we have Vegas. We have, I'm just looking at it here, we have St. Louis, Colorado. Um, you know, these are these are some good teams out there in the West. Um, personally, I like Colorado the most. Um, I feel like they have the most energy. St. Louis won the Cup last year. Obviously, you can never write them off. Um, I feel like Vegas, I don't know. I, I like Colorado's talent a little bit more. Uh, we'll do it a little bit quicker here. Uh, where do you, which team do you guys have coming out of the West Round Robin side, or or which team do you have as the best team out of those four? I should say. Uh, the best team to me uh, is, I mean, I think it's St. Louis still, even though they lost to uh, they lost the Abs their night with 0.1 seconds left. That I was like, great. That was that was honestly that was thrilling. I was like, oh my, Bennington's getting peppered the last minute. He made like 12 saves. Just literally sprawling out. He saved him there, and of course it goes in with a with a tenth of a second left. But to me, I think they're the the defending cup champions. Uh, they did lose. It's a round robin. That I don't think they mind being the first seed or the fourth seed. They, as we all remember, they were in last place at the All Star break last year and end up winning the cup. So I don't think they're they're phased by what seed they are. Uh, so I, I think they're just going to be. They're getting ready to play real playoff hockey. Uh, they know what it's like to get through the whole grind and. They're just waiting to get the real games going. And who I think is going to be the first seed through playing, I think it's going to be Vegas. I just think they're going to ride the hot hand. They, they, they're they riding confident. They came had a big comeback win against Dallas. They were down 3-1, uh, ended up winning 5-3, uh, four unanswered in the, in, the, uh, <clears throat> in the third period there. And so I, I think they're going to get the first seed. Then Colorado is going to get the second. And uh, obviously the St. Louis third and Dallas fourth. They're, they're – got some problems themselves over there in uh, in Dallas goaltending's been an issue surprisingly and just can't get enough offense going to to beat these teams in the round robin yeah uh, Ben Bishop didn't start yesterday he was uh unfit to play whatever that means who it could be precautionary could be injury related who knows you know Ben Bishop in the playoffs he goes he always gets hurt so I wouldn't be surprised if he's <laughs> he's injured hopefully not but it seems to be a pattern uh I, I got the stars fourth in my bracket. Um, first, I I wouldn't be surprised if St. Louis represented the West in the finals. You know, they've got the depth for it. The break helped them get past a Stanley Cup hangover if there was one. But I really like Colorado. I, I like their speed. I like their youth mixed with a little playoff experience from last year. I like the way they're handling it. You know, they go out yesterday. 
Uh, first of all, you know, they beat St. Louis 10th of a second left. What a game, you know, if they, I, if they meet in the playoffs, we're in for a treat, St. Louis and Colorado, that is. Um, you know, going out yesterday, beating Dallas 4 nothing. that's a big statement. Dallas, yes, is probably going to end up being the four seed, but any team in the round robin that you beat like that, you know, kind of controlling the game, kind of demanding win, that that's a big win for your group. I, I, I really like Colorado coming out of this. St. Louis is second, you know, defending Gup champs. They know what they're doing. They know how to be here. Um, you know, can't write them off. I like them as a second seed. Vegas is a third seed. You know, it's nothing against Vegas. I think Vegas is still a good team. They still have a lot of their core from 2018 when they made the cup run, but they, I, I don't think they're on the same level as St. Louis and Colorado. Yeah, I mean, I, I like Colorado because they have a mix of vets. They have a mix of youth. Um, Nathan McKinnon is an absolute superstar. You have Rantanen on there as well. Um, you also have Kale McCarr on the defensive side, who's been unreal uh, as a young player there. Uh, I really like that Colorado team. I think they have a lot of energy. Uh, but when you look at St. Louis, obviously you can't write off the defending cup champions, especially because Tarasenko's back. Um, and he's he had full time to heal. He's their best player. So having him ready for this playoffs is huge for them. And uh, Adam, you know what, man? I, I want to thank you for coming on today. Uh, you were great. We're definitely going to have you on before we find out uh, who the Lightning are playing in the East uh, quarterfinal rounds. Um, so uh, any any last bits of uh, Lightning stuff you want to say before you go? Uh, no, I'm not going to toot the Lightning, so I'm just going to sit back and enjoy it and hopefully not jinx anything. Uh, thanks for having me on today, guys. You know, it's a blast. You know, so, so happy that hockey's back and can finally talk about it. It feels good to be talking about hockey again. Absolutely, man. Have a good day, man. We'll see you soon. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Yeah. All right, Steve. So we're going to do some uh, Major League Baseball talk. Um, there's been a lot going on uh, with COVID and stuff like that. You know, uh, the Marlins are back. They're in first place in the NL East. Uh, that's awesome. I mean, they're that's cool, I guess. I, I don't think that's going to stay that way. Uh, the St. Louis Cardinals now getting ravaged. We heard this morning. Uh, they're actually now making people, if you're not on the field, you got to wear a mask. Uh, so that is uh, a new change because of all these outbreaks. But, dude, I mean, we're seeing some stuff this year that our, our predictions are just fucked. Let's just say that. I mean, they're yeah. just going all over the place. Well, what, what's some big headlines that you're thinking of right now? I mean, to, first off, my hometown team, I, what the fuck is going on? Like, I don't, I've been, we've won one game in the past. I believe it's six. So, it's better. Yeah, God. I mean, to get swept by the damn Orioles, that was frustrating. The offense is up and down. We, we talked about it in our preview. We said it. If they don't get the guys they had last year producing, I mean, Brandon Lau's doing what he's doing. He did last year. Willie Adamas has been lights out. Joey Wendell, those three guys. But everyone else has been a strikeout machine. Everyone's batting 150. And that's not winning formula for for in baseball, and they got to turn the ship around quick, or they're gonna be they're going into a four game set against New York this weekend and facing Garrett Cole, one of them. So it's got big tilt there. That's my that's one of the headlines because they a lot of people's World Series pick, and it's been surprising to see them struggle as of late. But another one is Minnesota. I mean, they've been just they've been tearing it up. I mean, a big team control. I mean, a team effort all the way around. The pitching's been lights out. Uh, the lineup, it's just a whole complete effort. Them and the Yankees have just been 
dominant as of uh, at the first 10, 12 games. It's just they're the, the front runners right now. And uh, I look at, too, uh, going to the West, Chicago 10-2 and two as well. They're playing really good baseball. And uh, the West has been surprising. San Francisco hasn't been uh, – they've shown that their young talent has been – up to par with everyone else. I mean, not many big household names in that lineup. I mean, Brandon Belt was the only guy I think left from that championship team uh, from a few years back, but they've held their own. And then San Diego, their bullpen has just been, boy, talk about it, just struggle. They could be, they could be 10 and two right now if it wasn't for their bullpen struggling so much. And it's been, it's been really odd. I mean, Pagan hasn't been the guy he was last year. Uh, Yates has been struggling a little bit. So uh, those are my those are my uh, things that have caught my eye so far throughout this beginning of the season. Obviously, a long way to go. But for those teams, it's been uh, not surprising for the Yankees to be doing what they're doing right now. But everyone else, it's just been kind of a whirlwind for me. Yeah, I mean, not just San Francisco out there in the West, but uh, Colorado, too. Their pitching's been fantastic. I think there was five straight games where their pitchers gave up two runs or less, which we looked at that rotation. We were like, what the hell is this? This is like Orioles-level yeah. rotation, you know, pitching great games. They they always had the lineup. We didn't doubt that. But you look at that pitching staff, it's just – I mean, there are guys that have performed in the past, uh, but they had really bad years last year. But, you know, John Gray, Sensatella – Freeman, they have had success in the past. So suddenly you look at that and you say, oh, wait, we get three starters going that can, you know, pitch good, you know, five, six innings a night. You still have Arenado and Story, one of the best offensive combos, David Dahl, Charlie Blackman, all those boys. Suddenly you have some guys out there in Colorado. You're scared of them. You know, could the Dodgers maybe just be battling with some teams that they didn't think they were battling with? I mean, you've got San Diego, Colorado, San Francisco up your ass. I don't think the Dodgers thought that this would happen. Yeah, I think it seems like we're living in some sort of like parallel, like on the other like dimension right now. What what the hell is going on? Because like I said, the Colorado, I mean, I don't think the Dodgers intended for them to be in a not. It's not really a dog fight yet. It's so early in the season. But hey, we talked about there's no such thing as an early part of the season because it's only it's only 60 games. Think about it now. Some way through already. Yeah. Some teams have played 12 games, and now you look at it, you're you're in the you're now you're gonna go in next by this time next week you're gonna be sitting on 20 games almost, and now you you have little to no time to turn it around. So back to what you were saying, uh, I think I don't think the Dodgers had intended to be in this close of a race so far with Colorado catching people by surprise, uh, San Diego we we knew they were gonna be where they are now with them with the pitching they had the offense. If the if the Padres can turn that bullpen around and fix those little things, they they'll start to get on a little little run here. But um, I think the Dodgers will be fine though. They just got too much power. We I watched the the Padres Dodgers game uh, there night and they were down or they were down two nothing throughout the game and they just patiently grind them out, get a couple runners on, uh, a couple base knocks and they and they ended up winning that game. I believe it was six uh, two. Uh, but they they're just too good, too talented, like the Yankees. Just to, they just wait you out. I, I keep saying it. The the bullpen shuts the door when they need you to, and the offense comes in clutch when when you need big guys like Mookie Betts, Bellinger. Just too many guys in that lineup to to hold them down um, throughout a nine inning game. Yeah, I mean, I I heard uh, Trevor Plouffe on Talking Baseball. He actually said about the Padres bullpen struggles. 
He's like, the good thing about them struggling is that they're not going to struggle eventually, and they're eventually going to turn it on. And he said sometimes with bullpens, it's kind of a collective thing where, you know, it's kind of like a cycle. You know, you start with one guy not doing so well. The next guy's got to come up and clean up your mess. So right when one guy starts getting going, I mean, that it's inevitable before that bullpen starts to – I mean, you literally have eight arms in that bullpen that you could throw any of them out and be confident that you're going to get three outs. Um, so I think, like you said, the Padres are they're they're going to be there. Um, but when I do look at the Yankees, you know, first of all, I said it on Twitter, Aaron Judge is going to win the MVP this year. I didn't think that going into the year, but uh, he's on like cloud nine right now. I mean, he he has seven home runs. Uh, he is hitting the ball off the cover. I mean, it's been absolutely insane. Um, but the one thing that shocked me, I texted you this morning, uh, the Yankees sent down Miguel Andujar. Uh, which I feel really bad for the guy. He, you know, he came up in 2018, set the Yankee rookie record in doubles, hit 30 and a uh, 30 and 100, hitting 300 in his rookie year. If it weren't for Otani, he would have won Rookie of the Year. Um, it just really it upsets me. But when you look at the Yankee roster, Gio's got third base. He's a Gold Glove level level defender, which Miguel Andujar just simply isn't. And Gio's starting to hit. You look at left field. And Duhar, he had one ball hit to him in left field, and he kicked it. So, you know, defense isn't looking so hot in left field. Uh, he hasn't been swinging the bat. And when you look at le- left field for the Yankees, you have Brett Gardner, the veteran, who you're paying money. You can't really sit him. You need to keep getting him going. And you have Mike Talkman that if Brett Gardner sucks at offense, which he still has three home runs, but he's hitting 150, Mike Talkman's been hitting. And his defense is better than Andujar. So Andujar stuck behind that, too. Then you look at first base, Voight's been hitting bombs, and now it looks like the Yankees prefer Mike Ford on the roster, who my brother calls Mike Ford his dad. I don't know why. He just calls Mike Ford his dad. Uh, he's a left-handed bat power off the bench. They seem to be platooning those two at first base, and Duhar's just stuck. And I tweeted it out. The Yankees desperately need starting pitching right now. It's nice to see this record and everything, 9-2, and two, but Paxton – he went from throwing 97 miles per hour to like 90. I don't know how that happens. He keeps saying, oh, my mechanics are off. Uh, I feel completely healthy. I don't know how that happens to where your arm angle's off and you lose seven miles per hour on your fastball. Uh, that's really worrying me. He's looked terrible. Uh, Jay Happ's been even worse. He had six walks yesterday. Uh, they have Clark Schmidt, number one prospect in the system of pitching, sitting there in the minors, 24 years old, and I'm hearing they don't want to call him up because he's not on the 40-man and they don't want to make 40-man room and they don't want to start his service time. It's like Yankees. He's 24. Why do you keep waiting for these guys till they're 25 years old? You have San Diego out there with, with, with you know three guys that are younger than Clark Schmidt that are really pitching really well. So if the Yankees are struggling for pitching and looking for help, you know yes, you could trade Andujar and showcase Clint Frazier right now and say, hey – We'll package these two and get maybe someone from Cleveland, like a Savali or a um, Zach Plesak. Go out to Texas, get a Mike Miner. But I'd rather build from within. You have Clark Schmidt sitting right there. Do you think starting pitching can be a problem for this Yankees team? Yeah, I I, I talked to with one of my buddies last night. We were watching uh, the Yankees game <clears throat> at a friend's house, and you know. You look. They looked at. They showed the splits for uh, this coming weekend series versus uh, the Rays. And uh, Tanaka's going game one. Cole's going game two. Uh, 
they haven't announced the second they started for game two the doubleheader and then game four i think it's paxton pitching yeah uh, the, the finale so i look at that the 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 rotation and i go well tanaka just came back off of uh getting domed and he's getting back into his into his rhythm himself garrett cole's looked at the garrett cole of, of the last couple of years just dominating uh, and then other than that then you said J.A. Happ and then paxton they, they've been on another they just have been way out in left field just kind of trying to figure out their their game themselves the command's not there they're not throwing strikes either when they are throwing strikes, it's getting hit all over the place. So, just really not not commanding the zone like you, the like New York wants them to. And if you're going to re- be relying on on one a one two punch and Garrett Cole and Tanaka all year, it, it's it's not trouble. It's not a bad thing to have. Those are almost two guaranteed wins if they're when they are on their game. And that offense can carry that pitching staff if it's if it's on the weekend side with Pax and Jay Happ. You're gonna have to look at the offense going, hey. We're going to have to score eight runs to win this game, and they can do that. But coming down the stretch the playoffs, you're going to need more than two Garrett Cole and, and Tanaka being on their on – their, because eventually Cole's going to go through some struggle at some point. If it's not a big struggle, it's a, it's, it's a slight one where command might be an issue a game or two. I don't see that happening, but it's, it's almost too perfect for Garrett Cole not to go through a couple of starts where it's going to yeah, be, be tough for him. But – this pitching staff needs a guy in between uh, Tanaka and Cole to to really bridge the gap between the between Happ and Paxton. Yeah, and and you know one thing that helps is the bullpen. Even though Tommy Canley, one of the best bullpen arms, just had Tommy John, they still have Ottavino, they still have Britton. Chapman's coming back. Um, name just escaped. Chad Green. Chad Green's been fantastic. I mean, he has a zero ERA right now. He's a guy that can come in for two innings. Uh, so that's really nice to have out there. Jonathan Lewisaga has been great. Sessa just got activated. Um, and they've had a young pitcher, Michael King, uh, come out of the bullpen. He's been really good, too. So bullpen will help. But, again, we've talked about it. You can't have a bullpen all season going for you for four innings a night. They're going to be tired by the time the postseason comes. And it makes me scared of a team like Minnesota, who I know the Yankees have had their number. But you look at their rotation. It's been performing really well. Yes, Barrio struggled in his first start, but his last two starts, one against Cleveland, he had five innings, two runs. Last start against Pittsburgh, six innings, one run. You look at the rest, Kenta Maeda, I'm pulling up his stats, 2-0 and with a 1.64 ERA. Um, you look at the rest of the rotation. Let's see who's in there right now. Um, looking at their roster. Randy Dobnak uh, went out the other day, 2-1 uh, and one with a .60. Um, so th- their rotation's performing really well. And it's not even fully healthy right now because Jake Odorizzi is not there. Uh, and Minnesota, they, their lineup's just as good as the Yankees. So are you worried about Minnesota for the Yankees' sake? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, they've been, not that I'm worried right now, but as okay, if you're asking me as of today, I look at it and I say that Minnesota pitching staff has surprised me. They have shut the door on teams where – they're not giving up the big innings. They're they're really limiting uh, the the scores. If you look at the the the, the splits of the of the Twins games, they're winning games. The pitching staff's gonna have one two runs a game. I think the most they've given up is was against the White Sox in the game two where they gave up a ten spot. Other than that, they've been pretty much you know holding home and staying put. And with that offense Minnesota has, that can go up with New York in itself. They can go hit for hit. I mean, they could they could go on a slugfest in the in the series, and 
that would be a good matchup come postseason if this pitching stays consistent for Minnesota throughout the year. Give me the Minnesota bats and the Yankees bats against each other and the pitching that's going to complement himself. Oh, boy. I mean, that could be a really great five- or seven-game series. But right now, I think the Yankees are in a good spot. I mean, offense has been really just lights out. I've watched four or five Yankees games this year, and it's impressive to watch the offense. Aaron Judge is, like I said, on another planet. He's no one can seem to get the ball by him. He's really adjusted that inside pitch, like he said. So guys are trying to attack him inside, and he's just taking it to left field in the third deck. And you go away, he's just putting the bat in the ball, going the other way, taking his base hit. So a lot of good things that, that New York's doing right now, but a long way to go. Yeah, and, you know, Stanton has been pretty good too. I mean, if you get those two going, Judge and Stanton versus Betts and Bellinger, you know, possibly in the World Series. That That's a pretty cool matchup to see. I'll do a quick standings update before uh, uh, we exit here and uh, CJ will hop on. Um, so let's go to the standings here. So the Yankees are 9-2 and two in the AL East. Orioles are second for now. They're 5-6. and six. Blue Jays are 4-5. and five. Then the Rays at 5-7. and seven. So like you said, Steve, this, this four-game series this weekend in three days, huge tilt. I mean, if, if one team takes three out of four, we could be coming back Monday saying, oh, this is a completely different scenario uh, than Boston with their terrible pitching in last place at four and eight. In the Central, Minnesota leads at 10 and two, then Cleveland at seven and six. By the way, five-man rotation in Cleveland, unbelievable what they've been doing at the pitching staff. Uh, then, uh, sorry, uh, Chicago was second place, then Cleveland at seven and six, uh, then Detroit, then Kansas City. Uh, in the West, Oakland leads eight and four, then Houston at six and five. Seattle at five and eight ahead of the Angels. Uh, they did lose Trout for a few days, uh, and they've had two games where Otani's gone out there and absolutely sucked. And now he has an MRI on his elbow, so they're going to shut him down pitching wise. That's a big thing because now the Angels really don't have a great starting rotation. They did call up their top prospect, Joe Adele, which I've been waiting for for a while, so it'll be interesting to see that. Uh, and then Texas in their new ballpark in last place. In the NL, Marlins, like we said, leading the East, but that's because of winning percentage. They were off for a week. Then you have the Braves at 8-5. and five. By the way, terrible injury with Mike Soroka uh, falling off the mound with the Achilles. That could hurt them for the rest of the year. Do you, do you think Atlanta's uh, kind of screwed there rotation-wise? Uh, yeah, that's a big blow because he was going to be a lot of – he's going to be eating a lot of innings for that that uh, that rotation and – for his first few starts, he was lights out and just really dominant. Had his his fastball command was up there, throwing a little bit of sli- a slider. I was really getting guys off, off their mark. And then he had a sick changeup after watching them against uh, Tampa. And he had guys just fooled all all over the place. And that's going to be a big big hit to the the Braves uh, rotation. It's a next man up attitude. They got a good offense, but that's going to really hurt. I mean, they're they're eight and five right now. Uh, Got an edge on Washington and New York. I think they'll be fine, uh, just because they they can score a lot of runs. But it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a test to uh, see what they're made of uh, after Soroka going down. Yeah, and they did get Mark Kakis back too. Excuse me, he opted back in, so that's a big thing for them after losing Puig. Um, but it's funny because we were talking about the NL East all offseason. We're like, this is the best division, and the Braves now lose Soroka. Uh, the Nationals haven't had Strasburg all year. They're four and five. You look at the Mets, they've been a PR mess. I mean, Cespedes just up and left the team the other day without telling anybody. You have just DeGrom in the rotation. Stroman still hasn't pitched. Their bullpen's been a wreck. So the Mets are being the Mets. And then you look at the Phillies, 
they're two and four. And so, you know, this whole NL East has been kind of a struggle bunny so far when we thought it would be neck and neck competitive. Uh, you look at the NL Central, Cubs are running away at 10 and two. Uh, then you have the Brewers at four and five, Reds at five and seven. Um, Sonny Gray has been fantastic, by the way, just striking people out left and right, uh, along with Bauer, who's come back and pitched pretty well. I think they'll rebound eventually. Uh, then the Cardinals at two and three. Like we said, they're not playing right now. They've been struck by COVID. Uh, and then the Pirates in last place at two and ten. And then the West, Colorado leading at eight and three. They're tied with the Dodgers. They're nine and four. Uh, then the Padres at seven and six. Giants at six and seven. And the D-backs really struggling at four and eight. Um, so I think that'll wrap up the baseball discussion for now. Uh, CJ, uh, I mean, I called you CJ. Uh, Steve, uh, we talked about baseball and hockey today. Uh, CJ is going to come in in a few hours. This is a pre-recorded thing. Uh, then we're going to record CJ's part later and uh, talk about the NBA. Uh, so I guess we'll see you next week, Steve. And uh, CJ is going to hop on now. We'll be back probably same day, you know, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, one of those days. Um, so we'll see you uh, next week, Steve. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I can't wait to get back. Uh, we'll see if uh, the Panthers can hang on and enforce a game five. Got a lot of hockey left and We'll get first round action, get going next week. So yeah, yeah. getting that going for this weekend uh, as well. It's been, uh, I just saw Clay Travis talked about it on outkick. Uh, they have been the highest rated sport coming back out of everything, which shocks me. Um, but it's, you know, it's, it's a sport where it kind of doesn't get into anything outside of sports. Uh, it's kind of just golf. Whereas you watch other things and they're kind of just trying to, trying to shove things down your throat um golf's kind of been a nice escape so far so i'll be watching that this weekend as well do you have a pick for who's gonna win um yeah i mean i picked uh last week i i picked justin thomas to win oh, the tournament he, he ended up winning uh so that was that was fun to watch him and brooks kepka go at it but i like brooksy this week uh to bounce back and maybe get a win but it's it's a big it's a stacked field first major term of the year it's gonna be fun and um, after I get off here, I'm going to go watch a few holes and before I get out on the course myself today at two. So, all right, there we go, man. So, uh, all right, we'll see you next week. All right. Sounds good. All right, guys. So now CJ is here for the second part of the pod. We just got done with Steve and Adam uh, that yesterday. And now CJ's on today to talk with us about his Florida Panthers, the other NHL series, and then the NBA bubble. Uh, so first of all, CJ, I'm just going to give you the floor. Uh, what are your opinions on this Florida Panthers series so far? The first two games were absolutely abysmal, but this is this is true Florida Panthers style. Like they do this every year. It's like no matter if it's a game or the start of a season, they always start slow. Or the start of a series in this point, they always start very slow. And the first game, we looked like we didn't want to be in the bubble until the third period, which we scored really quick, and then ended up still losing the game two to one. I thought we played. Very good defense that day. The following day, we had a lead. Um, we went up 1-0. Then they tied it 1-1. Then we went up 2-1. And then they ended up scoring three straight. We lost 4-2. to That was an awful, awful game. I thought we were done. I thought the team packed it in. And then Q got the guys rolling on uh, the following game, on game three. And I, we just took the Islanders out of their game. I mean, we played desperate hockey. I think it was going to be hard for the Islanders to, like, emotionally shut the door. Like, you know, in a hockey game where you're going in with the mentality of, if I don't win this game, I'm going home. If like some of those players are thinking to themselves, if we don't win this game, this could be like my last game in a Panthers jersey. I don't know where I'm going after this. My, my future is uncertain. 
you know, that all that plays into your play on the ice. And the Islanders didn't have those worries. They went into the game with the 2-0 lead and you know, they didn't play their best hockey and the Panthers took them out of their rhythm. And I think the Panthers have the momentum going into the, today's game. Desperate hockey. And the thing is, is when the Florida Panthers win and they score, the floodgates open and the, and the, the hope gets the, the, the hope levels go increase and the desperation levels increase. And once, you know, they start getting a win and, and the locker rooms buzzing, like the Florida Panthers are a really tough team to beat. And, you know, the reason why I'm saying that right now is because I think that they finally sort of figured out their defensive mishaps. And a lot of that is because Bobrovsky has given the defense in front of them confidence and the defense kind of feels like there's a little bit, there's a little extra room for them to push up in the play. There's a little extra room to pursue somebody along the boards instead of staying home because Bobrovsky's playing so well. So what it's doing is the Panthers have been able to force more turnovers. They've been way more aggressive on the boards. Hit, hit, hit. Instead of stay home and let people just crash your net. Because Bobrovsky's playing so well so people can push out. So today is huge. They need to push this to a game five. The franchise cannot afford to go three and one in uh, or, or to lose the series three one and only win one game in the bubble. We got blown out in the exhibition game to the, to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, and quite frankly... If they don't win the series, there's going to be an unreal amount of changes. And I'm talking like really good players on the Panthers going. I can see Ekblad being traded. I can see I can see them looking at, you know, well, I think Hoffman and Dadnov would walk for sure. Yeah. Uh, it's just it's a whole whirlwind of stuff. But this is a great series. And the Panthers, uh, they the organization does not <laughs> like the Islanders because of the last playoff series. But that's the Panthers series. Today's huge. As long as they bench Matheson, we should be good. Yeah, I mean, you hit on a lot of points there. I mean, Steve was saying, uh, you know, with Bobrovsky, yeah, he's let in some softies, but for the most part, he's been really one of the reasons why the Panthers have been able to keep the game so close. Uh, the thing for me is with the Islanders is they're physical. They play better as a team, and the way that you match that is you get physical back. And like you said, game three, the Panthers were a lot more physical. They're going to need to do that again in game four. And, you know, you said it too, the floodgates, when the Panthers start scoring – they are just like the Toronto Maple Leafs like that. Not so great defense, great offense. When they start to score, the things start rolling. So the Panthers, to me, they need a quick goal right out of the gate within the first 10 minutes of the game. And from there, you can start controlling things, start playing tighter on defense. And like you said, if Matheson's not there, you know, that that's a much different scenario for that defense. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, if they do lose this series, which they might still very well lose the series, even if they win today, uh, there will be a lot of changes in Florida. And, you know, unfortunately, they're probably getting the all-star game next year. And, you know, you would have liked to have seen a lot of these Panthers represent them at the all-star game. Now you look at that roster, they're going to start retooling. And it's just a shame because this seems like one of the best Panther teams that they've had in a long time. And if they lose here, it, it might just all crumble down. So, um, we do get the All-Star game next year. Uh, Barkov and Hubert will still be in a Florida Panthers uh, sweater this like this time next year, whatever ends up being this upcoming season. They will be Florida Panthers. Those two guys are Panthers that the organization is going to want to keep for life. Uh, Jonathan Huberto just surpassed uh, the franchise-leading um, player for points scored, so he's the franchise leader. He's a legend for the Panthers regardless of what happens in the playoffs. Regardless of if they make a run at a cup within his career with the Florida Panthers, who knows? He's a Panthers legend, uh, and that's, you know, they're going to do everything they can to keep him. 
Uh, Barkov, he's also on his way to being a Panthers legend. I mean, he's a very recognizable face in South Florida, around the Boca Raton area. People love him down here. Uh, and Aaron Ekblad is also an unbelievably familiar face down here. Uh, you know, my friends have run, run into him on the golf course. Uh, I ran into him at Tortuga, uh, you know, like two years into his career, maybe his rookie season, I don't even remember. But these guys are, you know, the, that young core that we were trying to grow up with. So it would really, you know, stink to see some of them leave. But, um, yeah, you did hit home on the Islanders are a physical hockey team. But what you have to – what you will see, for anybody listening, what you will see in the series, um, and Jacob, what you will see when you watch, is the Islanders are not that good of a skating team. No. They try to drive you to the boards and just, like, take you out of the play. But if you keep it an open ice game, you will skate circles around the New York Islanders. They're a team full of grinders. They're not they're yep. not fast guys. Their defensemen are slow, but they pack a punch on the on along the boards and their slap shots. Outside of that, I don't really think the Islanders are that good of a team. This year, they're just they're really stagnant in in the in the offensive zone. The Florida Panthers are a terrible defensive team, and they've looked the best in the last two years in this series defensively. Whether that's Q or a combination of Q, Coach Q and the Islanders being awful at offense, I don't know. But the, the Islanders are a team that, like in soccer, they park the bus. They look for that one goal, and then they try to outlast you 1-0 and wait for you to have an empty net. And then maybe the, the, the ideal New York Islanders game is a 2-1 win. That is okay. the ideal New York Islanders game. Anything that has anything remotely close to the other team trying to make it a shootout, it's not the Islanders game. So... The Panthers need to press the offensive, the, the offensive, limit the mistakes, and I think that they'll be fine. Yeah, just uh, you know, triple team Barzal, and you know, you'll you'll probably be fine. By he's the way, he's a non-factor at all. Like he yeah, done really, he hasn't series. done much. I mean, he's the best skater on that team by far. I would say, We're not just one of the best on skaters now. on that. What would you What did you say? I'm gonna knock on wood after I said Barzal's been a <laughs> hat trick. He's gonna get a hattie today. <laughs> yeah, um, but yeah, that's that's our views on uh, that series. Uh, are there any other NHL series you wanted to talk about? I mean, we had the Rangers get swept. Uh, by the way, I, you weren't here for the beginning of the pod, but uh, I was here. I was there with Adam. I was wearing my Yankee shirt, and then he said, "Hey, he's like, don't wear your Yankee shirt. You got to wear your Rangers jersey." He's like, "Don't be humiliated because they were swept." I'm like, "Hey, I'm never humiliated. I put my Rangers jersey on. I wore it the whole pod. I'm not ashamed, man. I mean, I said it's a blessing in disguise." This team now is going to play three games in a span of eight and a half months. That's a lot of rest. You got some of these young players, uh, some real key playoff experience. Now Jeff Gordon and John Davidson in the front office get to watch the entire playoffs. They get to see, okay, what do we do wrong? What do we need to add? I said they need to add physicality. Um, I think they need to solve the Henrik Lundqvist situation because I think he's either going to retire or they're going to trade him or cut him. Uh, because he's $8 million on the cap. And the Rangers have Ryan Strom as an RFA, Tony D'Angelo as an RFA. They just paid Chris Kreider $7 million uh, per year. So the Rangers need to figure out the salary cap situation. And when you're paying a backup goalie $8 million, it's not how you do it. I love Henrik Lundqvist, but it's just time to go uh, and time to split pass with him. Um, now, it's the same situation for your Florida Panthers. Do you think that if you get this number one pick with Lafreniere, if you lose this series, is it worth it maybe to lose the series? No, not at all. Not at all. The, the Florida Panthers franchise is hanging by a thread. Um, and 
it's just there's no room for losing, and there's you can't bank your franchise off a 12% chance of getting the the uh, right yeah first overall pick. I think for the Rangers it would be humongous. Oh, it would be. Yeah. Is that what you were asking? Well, I was asking kind of both from both teams. Oh well, for the Florida Panthers, absolutely not. It's not. But for the Rangers, that would be incredible. I and to be honest with you, and I'm not saying that the NHL is corrupt, but these first overall draft pick lotteries, <laughs> I don't trust. The New York Rangers are an original team. They're like a historic team. So I can see them getting left for any year. That would be huge. I, you know what, dude? I like. It. I think the league is better, and I think hockey is more enjoyable when it when the New York Rangers are good at hockey. And it's been years since the last time that they were like. Actually, I was like, damn, the Rangers are in town. That might be a loss. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that was like, you know, 2012, 13, 14 era. And then after yeah. that, it kind of went, eh, you know, downhill. Um, but yeah, but, no, I, I mean, I, you uh, got to be really delicate with the Henrik Lundqvist situation. I mean, he's a legend and you can't just like cut him, you know. So I think what's going to happen is this Hen- Hank knows his time is up with the New York Rangers. His time is up with the, in the league, really. And I think that what's going to happen is, is him and the management are going to come together at some sort of a a deal in this uh, in this off season and then see where it goes. It's the same situation for Berto Luongo, you know? Yeah. He's, you know, he's got his day, like one out of every four games. It's like, Oh, Hey, Luongo, he's back. He's pretty good. But those other three games are just brutal. So is what it is. And, you know, he might as well re- retire a legend. I mean, Luongo got his Jersey retired in Florida in Florida. He had a great ceremony and awesome. You know, he's going to have probably some sort of name outside the stadium, maybe even a statue, maybe even the first Florida Panthers statue outside the stadium. Who knows? Yeah. Because he was that good. So you might as well retire when, before you get cut, might as well retire before you get traded. So I yeah. think Hank knows he's a smart guy. I mean, yeah. I mean, Henrik Lundqvist is one of the best players in Rangers franchise history. He's a hall of famer. Um, and I've heard rumors, I mean, from some Twitter accounts, I mean, we don't take that as valid information, but, uh, they're saying he might retire from the NHL and go play with his bro- his twin brother, uh, Joel Lundqvist in Sweden for a year. Oh, that'd be cool. So, yeah. yeah I'm, I, I'm sure he'd go over to Sweden and play well. Yeah. I think that would be really cool. So, uh, How about that Maple Leaf series though, they're down yeah, 2-1 in the Blue Jackets and I love it. I don't like the thing for me is, is like. The, the Toronto Maple Leafs are the Florida Panthers of the North. They've exactly. got all this offense. They got no defense and no desire to win when it counts. And I know I hate talking yeah. about my Panthers, but it's just it's just a fact. That team that team in Toronto it's not in their DNA to to, to win like against physical teams. It's the same thing in in Florida. But the thing is, is they get an unbelievable amount of press because of Austin Matthews. They get an unbelievable amount of press because of John Tavares, Nylander, Mitch Marner, which are on astronomical contracts and there is no way that they are signing a single defenseman unless they trade that those those contracts and those players and don't retain any of the damage but yeah they they, i would love to see them get eliminated by the blue jackets i mean i think that would be great i mean adam said it before he's like if the maple leafs get eliminated and then have to watch other teams play in their building for the rest of the playoffs and they're lightning fans they said they would love that um but then uh, as for the def- the, the uh, signing a defenseman thing for Toronto, you know they're in. They, they did exactly what the Chicago Blackhawks did with Taves and Kane and Keith. They locked those three guys up, and because of that, they have not been able to really expand on their roster. Yes, the Blackhawks are winning right now against the Oilers, but if this hadn't happened, if COVID hadn't happened, they wouldn't have been in the playoffs again. So when you lock up your your team with big contracts, you really can't add those depth guys. So it really does look like that the Maple Leafs. The Blackhawks, if the Rangers, because the Rangers are going to have to do this too eventually, 
because they have to lock up Panarin, Zabanajag, Kako eventually, Shosturkin. You know, Jacob Truba is getting a ton of money. So when you have to start locking up these players, the rest of your roster kind of suffers. And uh, so you just have to make sure that you get key assets at every position in the NHL. That's just how you have to do it in a hard cap league. Mm-hmm. So uh, I'm, I'm really shocked, by the way, about the Oilers series and the Penguins series, uh, about how Montreal and um, – I just lost my train of the Montreal and Chicago are winning those series two games to one. Yeah. Just totally I would, uh, I am just actually floored that yeah. Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl didn't, didn't are not at the very least two one up in the series. I thought it, this, that series could have been a quick sweep in all yeah. honesty because the Oilers are that good. And I didn't think the Blackhawks were very good anymore. Um, they had a decent season sort of for their expectations, but I mean, the Blackhawks' defense is nothing. Corey Crawford isn't good anymore. That's why every game is a shootout. But I didn't realize the Oilers' defense was this bad because I don't – like t- outside of Patrick Kane and Kirby Datch or Dotch or whatever, I don't find them to be that great of a scoring team. Jonathan Taze was never a scorer. He's a setup He's a setup man and a great leader. That's what Thank he is. That's what he's always been. Thank but you. Anyway, um, yeah, that's a weird series, and I think the Penguins are going to tie the series up, and then that game five is going to be nuts. But I kind of, I mean, Montreal to lose two games in a row, who knows? I don't know. Yeah, but then you look at those teams. Hey, if the Leafs, the Penguins, or the Oilers get Lafreniere, I mean, what, what the hell, man? I mean, it's just like, as long as he's not in the Eastern Conference, I could care less. He could go, he could true. go to the damn Oilers and play right next to Connor McDavid. I wouldn't care. I'd be like, okay, cool. Like, they're going to score a bunch of goals, and they're going to let in a bunch of goals, and the Panthers, if they make the playoffs, will not have to play them. Yeah, I mean, that's a very good point there. So, uh... But one thing to play this really quick, my last thought, one thing this qualifiers has shown is that grinders and hard-nosed players are still very much needed in the NHL. Teams like the Maple Leafs and the Panthers who thought that they could get away with skill – and fast-paced players and sniping the puck and flashy shit alone clearly are being proven wrong. And I think the St. Louis Blues, when they won that Stanley Cup last year, reinvigorated that. You can win with what you have as long as you play your freaking tail off and hit people and get to the net. Oh, yeah. You couldn't be more right. I mean, seriously, it was proven with Columbus right now. They, they play as a team. They check. They hit. With Carolina, even— against the Rangers, their skilled players, Adam Fox, everyone was on top of him. He didn't have time to do his dipsy doodle stick handling. You didn't see Artemi Panarin doing his special moves in the middle of the ice. There were always two guys on top of him. Playoff hockey is totally different. You need skill and you need size. And I think a lot of teams are going to learn from this offseason. And, and it's not like you need top six guys. That you, you just need the third and fourth line guys that six foot five, 220 pound guy on the fourth line left wing that he comes out on the ice. You're like, Oh shit. You need that guy like Pat Maroon last year for the blues. Now he's on the lightning Tom Wilson on the capitals. You need guys like that. So you couldn't be more right there. Um, so let's move to the NBA. And, uh, I was going to leave the show with this cause I saw it on Twitter this morning. I was like, Oh my God, Dame Lillard last night, 45 points, 11, three points, uh, shots last night in the win over Denver. Uh, it looks like Portland, even with the tough schedule, they're going to get into the playoffs here, I think, at least, with that eight seed. They finally have their players back. I mean, Dame's just been unreal. 
Yeah, I'm uh, look. I, I like Damian. I like Damian Lillard a lot, and I was honestly pulling for them to be in the playoffs. Um, I didn't. You know, it, it was a little tough for me because I really liked the 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 AC was the uh, the the Grizzlies, right? I yeah. really like the Grizzlies, and I want and I want John Morant to get as much playoff exposure as possible, and I want the Grizzlies to be like build around jaw Morant and I don't want to see jaw Morant like ask for a trade in three or four years and just dip, you know, and like go join some super force. I'd love to see them build from the ground up and the Memphis Grizzlies be like a team that is constantly challenging for like a conference finals and, and, you know, four years down the line, whatever, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I thought that it was pivotal that John Morant gets in the playoffs this year and, and gets that like experience, but I don't want to see Damian Miller not make it in. He's so much fun to watch in the playoffs. He's, Every time he gets in, I feel like the series goes six games, five, like six or seven games just because of him. He's dropping like 45, 50 points. He's unreal, like such a great player. So he's been playing awesome. And, you know, the Trailblazers, you're right. They they might make it in here. Uh, let me check their record. Uh, yeah, Portland is at 32-38, and Memphis is 32-37. and 37. So Memphis has a game in hand, but they're tied on wins right now. So. And listen, if you look at Memphis's schedule, you, you should check it uh, on the app right now. I think they're already 0-4. Their next few games, they might go 1-7, 0-8 in this bubble. Like That might be one of the worst choke jobs in the NBA history. I mean, seriously, because they I think they have Milwaukee to play. They have Toronto to play. I think they play Boston. That I mean, they're not winning those games. Yeah, yeah, you are completely right. They went, they've lost to the Spurs. They've lost to the Pelicans. They've lost to the Jazz. They lost to the Trailblazers, so yeah, 0-4, and, and now they play the Thunder. Loss. Today at 4 o'clock, they, and then uh, Sunday they play the Raptors. Loss. Tuesday <laughs> they play the Celtics. Loss. Thursday they play the Bucks. See, the only way I think they win the Milwaukee game is if Milwaukee sits their players because they already clinched the number one seed. Yeah, but at that point, the, the Portland Trailblazers will be two games up on them. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and you know, the Pelicans could have done it too because they had an easy schedule. But what, what is your opinion on this Zion minutes limit thing? Because, I mean, they could have won that first game against Utah, definitely. He had 13 points in 15 minutes. They, they were very close at the end of the game, and they didn't even put him in. Now, his minute averages have gone up. The third game, he played 20 minutes. Um, but, I mean, come on. This is almost exactly the same thing that the Chicago Bulls did with Michael Jordan in his second year when they had the minutes limited against him, and they just snuck in the playoffs. Um, and now the Pelicans are doing the same thing with Zion. I don't get it. Zion wants to be out there. What are your thoughts on this minute limit thing? Yeah, Zion is like a, he's an anomaly to me. Like I love watching him play, but at the same time, I just feel like I don't know if he is gonna be consistent in this league. Like I like the way I see it, and the way his body is going. Like, can he be a guy on a team that you're like, this guy's gonna play 75 games this year, and we're gonna get to the playoffs because of him? Yeah, I don't know. Five minutes a night. Yeah, I don't know. He might be a guy where it's like, let's preserve him as much during the regular season and just play his tail off in in the playoffs and just pray to God that in the regular season, our guys are good enough to get us to the playoffs because we're not going to be playing him as much. He's going to be limited on minutes. There's going to be games where he's going to be out. I don't know. But I was talking to my friends about this the other day. I think the Grizzlies lucked out and not having the first pick and having to pick. I think but between Ja and Zion, I think having Ja is so much more stress-free. Now, Zion, obviously, he is going to sell more jerseys. 
Zion is way more marketable. People, ESPN wants to cover Zion more than they want to cover Ja. Not that they don't respect Ja, but, you know, you get way more exposure from the New Orleans Pelicans with Zion than you do Ja. But the thing is, is who's going to be there later in the career? Who's the better team player? So, I don't know. I mean, I, the I, way I, I see it with this whole minutes limits thing is I don't think you could do it any other way. I don't think that Zion came back late in the season. I don't even know if he was fully healthy when he came back. I feel like they sort of rushed him back a little bit because they needed to make the playoffs or, or, or get close to making the playoffs and get on a run there, which, you know, when he started playing with them, they started winning more. They were way more competitive. Do I think he's going to be really good? Yeah, but the minutes thing, I don't think that there's any other way around it. I don't think his body can take, like, right at this moment in the NBA, like, all that. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably still take Zion over Jaw, but it is closer than people would think. Um, I think the minutes limit thing will end eventually. I, I just don't think he'll be a guy playing like LeBron does in the postseason, 40 minutes a night. You know, I don't think that he's that guy. Um, I think he's more of a, you know, 30-minute guy, 32-minute guy. Because uh, LeBron this year had his, his lowest minutes per game at 34. You know, I don't even think Zion could be that guy. Um, now, the Pelicans have wanted him to lose weight. He hasn't really. He kind of looks exactly the same. And a lot of people say that if he does lose weight, he won't be the same player. Well, that's a problem because you can't be that heavy and have a sustained career. So I definitely see what you're saying. Um, but now let's shift gears to the East. Um, I'm telling you, you might be upset about this, CJ, Okay. Uh, I like the Celtics more than I like the Heat right now. Uh, I think they're the best matchup against Milwaukee. I think they have more depth. Uh, Kemba Walker, Jason Tatum, who's, by the way, unbelievable. Jalen Brown, uh, Gordon Hayward, I think I said him already. I mean, they, yeah, they have two centers, Enos Cantor and Daniel Theis. You Tons of other depth. Marcus Smart is great. Uh, I look at the Heat. Now, I, I definitely see the potential because... They have multiple people that can guard Giannis. You have Bam, you have Iguodala, you have Crowder that can definitely post up against Giannis. You also have Jimmy Butler that even though he's a lot smaller, he can definitely match up against Giannis too. And my thought process with the Heat is, I think the only way that they can win is, of course you're going to get production from Butler and Bam, but you need Duncan or Hero, one of the two, to be really hot in each game for them to win because I don't think that Jimmy and Bam can carry the Heat in a seven-game series against Giannis and Middleton. But I do think that if you go to Boston, that Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Gordon Hayward, Kemba Walker, they could maybe get it against Giannis and the Bucks. What What is your thought on that? So it's funny that you that you said this. I had this exact debate yesterday with my friend uh, Nick Didiana. Um So well, yesterday the Miami Heat were up on the Milwaukee Bucks. Um through three quarters, fifteen points, seventeen points yeah. at one point, and they did not have Gore. Uh, they did not have Goran Dragic or Jimmy Butler. Right. Gore. People underestimate the fact that we have a two-headed monster on point guard, Kendrick Nunn and Goran Dragic, who Kendrick Nunn can push the floor, get to the rack, and he can shoot. Goran Dragic has been lights out at three. He's great dribbler, gets the basket. Like that guy's so good. He's so underrated too. That's just a point guard. You know. I think the Heat are the the best equipped team in the league to, to, to cover Giannis outside of the L.A. Clippers, for sure. You got you got you go Butler, Iggy, Bam, Crowder. All four of those guys can match up against him and, yeah. and, and give him hell, and if not double team him. I think that the Heat can push this through a seven-game series with the Bucks for sure. And you are right. We need a hero, Robinson, a Drogic to be hot from downtown, but that's not a, that's not all we have that can shoot threes. 
if you saw the other day when we played, um, forget who we played, I'm forgetting the team that we played. I can tell you right now. Um, Didn't you? Be, you played Boston lately. We played the the Nuggets. It was the Nuggets. Oh. Kelly Olynyk dropped 21 points in the fourth in the fourth quarter when it was still a close game, and it was he was just shooting from downtown. Jesus. So, I think that he'd have the like the best shooting team in the East at the moment. And yeah, we'd have to get a little hot. But the thing is, is we know how to cover Giannis, and Eric Spolster will come up with a plan. And if you have on the court Drogic or Kendrick Nunn slash Goran Drogic, Jimmy Butler, Duncan Robinson, Bam Adebayo. Myers Leonard or Kelly Olynyk, you've got scoring. Like you're going to score the rock and you're going to defend. I think they have more scoring punch than than the rest of the depth players on the Bucks. Now Middleton and and Giannis are good for however many points again. I mean, you know, regardless of what you're going to do, Giannis is still going to drop above 20. It doesn't matter. Um, it's very rare. Like the Heat held him one time to like a pretty minimal point uh, uh, outage. But the thing is, is I think the Heat can go seven, but I see what you're saying with the with the Celtics. I just haven't seen it from the Celtics in this bubble yet. I haven't seen that like, okay, that team looks good. Yeah, they've won a few games, but I haven't looked at them and been like, okay, the Celtics are going to make some noise in the playoffs. And obviously they're going to get past round one, but I don't know after that basically is what I'm saying. But I understand your point. So we can agree yeah. to kind of agree, I guess. I mean, I guess we could say that. Yeah. I mean, it's, we can go either way on both and, uh, I guess we'll finish this up here. Uh, which team has looked better to you? And this this is a, uh, I mean, we were saying this when everything, when the bubble started, is it Lakers or Clippers? And I think I was pretty dead on from the beginning. Uh, the Clippers have looked by far the better team in this bubble. The Lakers have now lost, I think, three straight games. They lost to the Thunder by like 25. They lost to the Rockets last night. Um, they just, the Lakers, I mean, they are not a deep team. You have mm-hmm. LeBron and AD, of course, um, but look, JaVale McGee's great, but he's great defensively. You can't really rely on him for scoring. Dwight Howard, kind of the same thing. Kyle Kuzma comes off the bench, can't really rely on that. Uh, Caldwell Pope, not really a starter. They're using him as a starter. J.R. Smith and Dion Waiters, they haven't played in a year and a half, right? Uh, Rondo's gone. Uh, Caruso, I like Caruso, but is he really your third player? Avery Bradley's gone. The Lakers just aren't a deep team, period. And when you look at the Clippers, they literally have two of everything. They have two big centers that can score with Harrell and Zubak. You have two big power forwards with with uh, Harrell's also used a power forward and Marcus Morris. Of course, you have Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who Charles Barkley called the two best wing defenders in the NBA. Then you have uh, at point guard Pat Bev and Lou Williams, who can, and by the way, not only can everyone score on this team, but they can all play defense. I don't think they're just the West favorite. They're the finals favorite right now. Oh, it's one of the two are the finals favorite for sure. Yeah. Um, and I agree. Uh, I will. I love my man, LeBron. He's awesome. Uh, I think he is. He's my goat. Uh, and when the end, at the end of his career, I'll make my case for him to be the goat. That's fine. Oh, no. Um, but at the end of the day, I think the Los Angeles Clippers are the better team right now, and they're playing like the better team. And there's something about Kawhi Leonard when he gets in that that look in his eye with the defense and scoring, he's just no one's going to stop him. So, and Paul George looks great too. He's dropping above 20. Uh, when you have to cover Paul George, Kawhi, uh, you know that's just really difficult. 
And you're right. The Clippers have better depth. They've got they've got a better roster over overall. Paul George, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard versus uh, AD and LeBron is going to cancel out. Yeah. No matter what, they will cancel each other out. It's going to be up to the other guys to who's got the better bench, who's got the better bench scoring on on that night, who's got the better you know the other three guys in the lineup, who's who's outscoring who, who's playing better defense. Win those matchups, and then the other team's going to win. But I think the Clippers are better to are, are better equipped. But I gotta tell you, dude, I'm not sold on this West the the Western Conference Finals being the Lakers versus the Clippers just yet. The freaking Dallas Mavericks and the Houston Rockets are very good. The they Rockets are very good great. teams, and they're gonna yeah. be dangerous. They, and if LeBron is going into the finals banged up, if the Clippers have a, an injury or two or a missing player, dude, those the Rockets and the 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 Mavericks can push both LA teams to six or seven games. I completely agree. I, I would have said Utah a few weeks ago, but they haven't looked that great. Um, I, I would completely agree. The Rockets and Mavs are really dangerous teams because they can shoot. Um, so that that's a really dangerous thing in the playoffs. You can get going and you can shoot. That's huge in the playoffs. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was thinking the other day, though. I mean, if you really think about it, if Kawhi wins the championship this year, he will go to three and one all time in the NBA finals. LeBron was in three and one after his first four finals. So you, you have to start considering Kawhi as being one of the all-time greats. Oh, Kawhi is going to be one of the all-time greats at the end of the day. I think that he cemented himself being one of the all-time greats at the small, the small forward position just by going to Toronto on some rinky-dink trade <laughs> when him and the Spurs literally just had a falling out. And they're like, ha, screw you. You're going to go to Toronto to a different freaking country. And he yeah. was like, how about this? Fuck you. I'm going to win the finals. And that's exactly what he did. He went into Toronto, got them a finals, and was like, peace. I'm out. I'm going to go sign my big ticket somewhere else. And went to the Clippers, and he might do it all again. Like, if he gets back-to-back finals here with two different teams, I don't know how many times that's been done in the history of the NBA. Now, it's probably been done by, like, those those superstar team jumpers, like a Jabal McGee or a Kyle Korver that just goes to the next best team. Yeah. But, like, in terms of a starter and a star, like a leader, I don't know yeah. if there is – if it's been done. I could be very wrong. I mean, I'm sure it's probably been done, but it's probably been done, like, one or two or three – one, two or three times. Like, for Kawhi to go, okay, or at least I'm going to go from the East when win the finals and then go to the West and win the finals. That's also insanely impressive. So, yeah. I like Kawhi Leonard a lot. Is he LeBron? No. But he is up there. He is for sure up there. I mean, you might have to start putting him ahead of KD in some ways just because he's a better winner. I mean, KD went to Golden State to win with other people. So Kawhi is basically, and I know the Clippers have a great great roster. Now he has Paul George. But Kawhi is the undisputed leader. When KD was on Golden State, Steph Curry was the leader. So, you know... I don't know. I mean, I forgot about KD. He's so good. He's so good. Well, he's more talented than Kawhi, but as a winner, I don't know. Kevin Durant is so good. Holy shit. I totally forgot about KD. Kyrie next year with Brooklyn, bro. Dude, Kevin Durant on his day is on his best day. Is one of the best is has an argument to be the best basketball player in the world. That's how good he is. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Kevin Durant is so damn good. Wow. I totally forgot about KD. Yeah, that that could be a good segment. You know, rank the t- top four power, just top five small forwards in the in the NBA. You know, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, Kevin Durant. It's definitely the best position in the NBA. I mean, yeah, it, it's got the most. It's got the best players. That's for sure. Oh yeah, for sure. So, uh, 
All right, man. So we talked about uh, your Panthers today. They start in six minutes. I want you to get to watch that game. Yes, uh, we're going to have this pod uploaded right as the game is starting. Uh, so we'll see if CJ is correct right away. Um, and if the Panthers lose, uh, we might not see CJ for a while. We'll see. I mean, he might be a little upset for a while. Uh, but uh, by the way, I never got to uh, say this on air to you. Uh, thank you for betting the New York Rangers. Uh, it was all your fault. Uh, they lost because of you. And uh, that's how we're going to end this pod. Uh, so for <laughs> CJ, <Eater, laughs> my I, fault. I Sorry, Ranger Nation. Yes. Uh, so you can listen to us on iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, a bunch of other platforms. Follow us on Twitter at Strict Sports FAU, on Facebook and Instagram at Strictly Sports FAU. And uh, for CJ, I'm Jacob. We'll see you next week. See you.